The following discussion is not necessarily the views of all involved. The goal is to start open and honest discussion in the Christian worldview. Like all things, weigh what you hear with what you know and join us in our pursuit for the truth. Enjoy the podcast. The bag of foreskins is, is the main point, right? What kind of goofy henchmen are these <laughs> that they carried a bed too tall and didn't notice it wasn't a real person? I'm going to trick it. And then David's like, I'm not even that cool. And he goes, yeah, you are. You can convert my family or else. <laughs> All right. Welcome, everyone, to the Second Rate Saints podcast. I'm one of your hosts here, Caleb. To my left is... I'm Josh. To my left is I'm Joel, and to my left it's me, Caleb. We are missing Colton and Stuart, um, sadly. So it's just the three of us. Big sad, just hanging around. Um, Joel, do we do things on the internet? Quite frequently. Yeah, no, I've I've had a lot of fun putting stuff online lately. Um, we just got past our fiftieth episode a couple episodes ago. Um, and it feels a little bit like a milestone, like we're on the other side of it. So, um. Be sure to invite friends to start listening to the Second Right Saints podcast because honestly, we've got a, a backlog of uh, topics. Do you just yawn, Josh? <laughs> okay, apparently Into Josh is already bored. Never mind. <laughs> Forget about inviting your friends. No. no. <laughs> Straight into the microphone. I'm sorry. I thought I dodged. We'll edit that up. Anyways, uh, <laughs> the yawn, probably not this tangent. Anyways. We are a decent ways into the podcast. We've enjoyed it thus far. We have a um, quite a broad span of topics uh, to backlog. So if there's a episode that you would suggest to a friend, I'd encourage you to do that today. Send out that episode and um, see if you can get some interest drummed up for the podcast because um, we're doing another Thoughts in Real Time episode, not today, but soon, and we would love to have some great questions. Um, if you'd like to connect with us, you can do so at secondratesaints.com. You can email at us at secondratesaints at gmail.com. And uh, you can follow us on our Instagram and Twitter um, under the same names. Uh, we try to be as active as we can be. Um, and we're very much responding to response. So uh, whatever content you would like to see more of, then be sure to interact. We have our blog posts online and our book reviews. Um, this is becoming a long ad section, I'm realizing. So let's let's move on with it. Yeah, I think that's a testament to how much we've grown, like, how much we're spreading out because originally it was just check out the blog yeah and then, <laughs> and now, yeah. And now we're doing a thousand different things which is awesome and we do have stuff like in the works um i'm very excited to see what second rate saints looks like in a year from now um i know we don't talk about like the future of second rate saints very much on the podcast but i'm very excited for what it's gonna look like yeah um, episode 75 i think well, the- i would put closer to 100 but yeah 75 would be interesting to do like a look forward Oh, we yeah, we could do the future. I mean, yeah. I feel like we would be looking back at a, episode 100. Oh, yeah, yeah. I feel like episode 100 is a good spot to do that. We'll um, do the best bits or something. <laughs> I don't know. Little bits. Joel. Yeah? Now that you've told everyone about what we do online, do you read? What have you read? Yeah, so I was looking for, and and maybe this is this is probably something we haven't really covered on the podcast as much. I was looking for a biography of a man of God. I actually reached out to a friend of mine that I, I knew that was more of his bag, and I said, "Hey, I need some. I need something encouraging, and I need something um, 
kind of man of God, men of valor kind of stuff, you know? Um, and what he got back to me with was a book called um, The Heavenly Man by Brother Yoon, who was a pastor in the 70s and 80s that came to Christ in uh, mainland China. Wow. Um, and I can't remember the name of the exact province, but uh, I would probably butcher the pronunciation anyways, um, even though I was listening to the audiobook, it was, it was very interesting. Um, Is it an autobiography or a biogra- biography? It's a biography. Wait, which which one is autobiography the... would be written by himself? If it's um, if it's so written... that's hard to answer because some of them are firsthand accounts from himself, okay. and some are like his wife comes in and writes about her perspective of that of him. It would kind of be funny. It would be an to, autobiography to, probably. to write an autobiography and then call it the Heavenly Man. That that is what he calls him. Yeah, that, that... and that's based out of a story that happens. Okay, that sounds kind of yeah. Um, yeah, I'll explain the name of the heavenly man now in a second, but it still sticks. Like he's still, uh, in ministry now. Um, which I, I was kind of expecting him to get back with like somebody who is like dead, dead and gone. Mm-hmm. Right. Cause that's typically what we think of when we think of biographies or autobiographies. Um, but, uh, yeah, this one takes place in the seventies and eighties. Um, when he's first coming to Christ and there's just some absolutely crazy things that happen. Um, he doesn't start off with a Bible. He starts off just hearing about um, Christ and he hears about uh, God's word and he hears it preached in a time when it's very much illegal to be preaching anything other than the doctrine of the Chinese government. Mm-hmm. It's, it's crazy. Um, and so he kind of comes up alongside that and he has this, this really, I think it's an inspiring story. It's not something you can do. It shows the power of fasting, but it doesn't do much outside of that is he prays and fasts for God to give him his own Bible. Because at this point, he's heard of the Bible. He's never read a Bible. Mm. And he's been a Christian for about two years, right? And he's, he's living with his parents who are illiterate. They never even learned to, to read or write. Um, and he's just praying. And someone gets a vision, comes to his town, comes to his door. And uh, God told him in a vision that he would also receive a Bible. It's, it's a whole story. I, I, it's one of those things where it's going to be hard for me to describe because he does such an eloquent job of, of describing his story. Cool. Um, but yeah, it's, it's just this example of how God uses the um, things we would never imagine being even possible in the modern day in like as recent as the 70s and 80s, right? Like it's, it's so cool to see um, how he prays for a Bible and then one shows up at his door in the hands of somebody he's never met before, but also received a vision um, mm-hmm. at a time when to have a Bible would get you killed. Um, and, and that's kind of the background for him because he became one of the main oppositions to the three self church in China, which is the Chinese government's control over the, the uh, charismatic movement. Um, and that's part of the reason why he's called the heavenly man is because he was part of many house churches um, and he would travel to different areas. He, he, he tells one story of like he would run um, through the, the woods and through the trails um, to get where he's supposed to go. And while he was doing it, he would just recite scripture. And he says um, that one day he had an experience like Philip where he just appeared in like a different town, like in a much shorter time than he ever should have been able to get there. And it's just story after story where he's like, oh yeah, no, that's, that happens in scripture, but he's fine. Like he's telling these stories from a time before he had read those scriptures himself. Right. Um, because he was able to get like pages at a time. 
Right. Um, yeah. So Brother Yoon is, is a pretty inspiring story. You get into uh, his kind of modern day Paul experience. Um, I know I'm getting like very charismatic with this. Not a lot of people would talk about a modern day Paul, but uh, he has an experience of going to prison for Christ and, um, and, and for preaching. And he's there and he even says in his book, I don't know how it happened, but I fasted for over 40 days. And when he got to 40 days, he felt that Satan was tempting him saying, hey, G- even Jesus only did 40 days. You can eat now. And he goes, no, can't do it. <laughs> there would be no reason to go this far and not go further. And he's just like in prison fasting. Hmm. And he's sitting in prison and um, he gets a message from his family from the outside. And uh, he says, I'm totally fine. Uh, when I'm not supposed to be here, God will let me out. Um and so he's praying there one day, and the door slightly opens, and he gets up and he shuts it. <laughs> and he goes, okay, it'll open again if I'm really supposed to leave. Then it opens again. And he gets up and he walks out. and Just like Paul. They're just like Paul. They're just like, like Peter. Peter. Yeah, yeah, like Peter, sorry. Um, yeah, some crazy stuff. Uh, the reason he's called the heavenly man is because he was being uh, questioned by the, uh, the police, and they asked him where he was from. And what they would do when they were caught is they would yell as loud as they could, um, even if they were only answering the questions, because they would want the rest of the people in, t- in the town to hear that they were being questioned, uh. right? Um, just as a kind of warning. And his whole thing was that he heard his con- his congregation heard him saying, I am not of this world. I am of heaven, right? Like, I am yeah. a heavenly man, right? Like, that okay. is where my destination is, and that's where my home is. I am is. a citizen of heaven. Oh. Yeah. yeah, so he says, if you yeah. send me back to my home, I will only be in heaven, <laughs> right? Like, and it's like very, like, yeah, let's fight him kind of thing, right? So he, he's a he's a cool rebel. It's it's cool that he's still alive, like, traveling around teaching. Um, that's I think cool. he still uses a translator. He has this one awesome story of when he goes to Norway, and uh, he shows up there and he finds the grave of the woman who brought the gospel to his town mm. um, and had saved his, his entire family. And uh, he goes to her, their grave and realizes that it's rotten and that it's starting to crumble and there's no flowers or anything around it. Yeah. And uh, he walks up to the local church. And he goes, hey, why isn't this woman being honored? It's like, oh, sorry, she doesn't have any family near us or anything. Either you honor this woman, or in two years, I will send a group of Chinese men who have learned stonework in prison for the gospel, and they will fix this lot of land. And then he leaves. So he just threatens the church, and then comes back two years later, and he says, there was a beautiful gate around her, <laughs> her cemetery. Yeah. What a, what a weird Christian threat, too. Yeah. I'll do it myself. Well, I like his guilt of, like, either you do it, or those who have suffered for the gospel— and we'll continue to suffer with the gospel. We'll do the job you've neglected to do. Mm-hmm. And it's like, oh, yeah, fair enough. Hopefully that's not too incoherent ramblings. Um, it's hard to to go through every one of his stories because they are just rapid fire like, oh, and this happened, and then this happened, and then this happened. So um, who would you recommend that book for and why? Um, I would say for missional work. It's a big deal. Um for those who kind of want to see what the gospel being spread in other cultures looks like, um, that's pretty good. But also those who um, desire to live a life led by the Spirit in a very practical sense. Um, not just somebody who, who like, 
talks his talk, but somebody who's like actually going through what it means to suffer like Christ. Um, yeah, I, honestly, I'd recommend it for myself. Somebody who I, I was, you know, uh, I'm starting my first little bit in ministry and I wanted somebody who's like, I need a man of God's biography to look up to kind of a thing or autobiography to, to look up to. I want a, um, not quite a mentor. What's, what would the word be? Role model. I don't know if it's a role model either. An example of a man of God. That's what I'm saying. Okay. Um, and then there's plenty of stuff. I'm not just saying man of God in a generic sense. It could be woman of God, whatever. His wife is actually pretty awesome in that book as well. She writes a couple of sections. But uh, yeah. That's awesome. Okay. So that's uh, The Heavenly Man by Brother Yoon. Yeah. That's awesome. Nice. Yeah. Like I said, not not something we typically cover, but I, I definitely enjoy it. It'd be cool to go over stuff like that. I know <laughs> at some point I'm going to read a biography on Bonhoeffer, and I'm 100% going to talk about that here. Mm-hmm. Yep. That's on my reading list. Um, <laughs> Josh. Yes. We're continuing with Samuel. Yes, we are. Do you want to do previously on Samuel? Previously on Samuel. Um, so we talked about last week, we read chapter 17 at every verse uh, because chapter 17 is in the book of First Samuel, the best chapter. Be- really? Because it's David v. Goliath, like the pay-per-view, the pay-per-view event of the Old Testament. Like the other one, like, like, like the the prophets of Baal versus Elijah. Yeah, That'd but that, that's one. a. But he Samson does kill them the donkey. all. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Samson and the donkey. Donkey's job. Huh? <laughs> um, yeah. He does kill all the all the prophets afterwards. Um, yes. Um, no, 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 and that's remarkable. But that's God v. Baal. I would argue this is also God v. Dagon. Uh-huh. <sighs> yes, but it's through the lens of God is empowering David to fight God's enemies. Yeah. Whereas in Elijah, Elijah's clearly saying this is his fight. This is yeah. see Yeah. I, I understand. It is awesome. Yes. Also the one liners. Anyway, so what it's like chapter seventeen is beautiful because it is the it is the scene where we get to see what type of man David is gonna be mm. in these passages coming up. And what kind of man Saul is going to be from this point on? Because up until now, we got Saul was great. He was the king the people chose and that got empowered. The spirit would rush upon him. He would prophesy and fight God's enemies. Um, And then he started to make some mistakes, sin a bit. And now you see him hiding in his tent. Yeah. Well, he, he... He fails to execute the word of God with the Amalekites. Yes. And then now he's just a coward. And now he's just hiding in his tent. And this cheese delivering shepherd. Skip uh, the dishes. Skip the dishes. Bible edition shows up and he's like, hey, why are we letting this guy just badmouth God? Uncircumcised Gentile. Yeah. Why are we letting this loser... Uh, say bad things about God and his people. We should, uh, why isn't he dead yet? And so he goes up to Saul and he's like, I'll fight him. Mm. I'll put him down. Right. And Saul is like, what can you do? And David, young man, David is like, I fought lions and tigers and bears and God has put them 
has given them all over to me to defend my father's sheep. Mm-hmm. To defend his honor and to defend his people, he will do the same. Yeah. And he goes to the the battle, rushes upon Goliath, kills him quick and fast, decapitates him, and sends the Philistines running. Yeah. Well, it shows how like Davidic imagery is also good shepherd imagery. Yes. Which is which is really cool. Yeah. In the in the scene where he is a warrior fighting God's enemies, he's yeah. also depicted as a shepherd. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which is an interesting note. Good good eye. Yeah. Um and so now we get to the scene where David uh is working in Saul's service with his family. Uh and sorry. That was previously. Oh yes, yeah, so we also talked about how chapter 16 the ending part when he starts helping Saul with his harmful spirit is probably after the fight with Goliath there's a continuity interestingness there Mm -hmm. and so now after the fight with Goliath David is working with Saul and he is in his house when the harmful spirit comes upon him he plays his harp and soothes him Um, and so he defended Israel which was supposed to be the king's job and is now imbued with the Holy Spirit, helping the king with his problems. Yeah. And that leads us to where we are. All right. So chapter 18. Picking up 18 verse one. <clears throat> as soon as he had finished speaking to Saul, the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David and Jonathan loved him as his own soul. And Saul took him that day and would not let him return to his father's house. Then Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as his own soul. And David stripped himself of the robe that was on him and gave it to David and his armor and even his sword and his bow and his belt. We're going to stop it there. So? I mean, it it seems like this is going to be the the pattern is that he continues to take Saul's supporters and bring them into his own house, right? Like we're seeing that with Jonathan. We'll see it with Michael a little later on. Um, and we even see it with Samuel being his court prophet. Um, yeah. 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 I think that's the big, I think that's what's beginning here. Well, it also is a, the, that is a standard like covenant mm-hmm. between two, two houses, which is interesting. Yeah, there's a political significance to the to yeah. the love that's mentioned here. Yeah, um, which uh, is mentioned by um, Bill T. Arnold in the NIV Application Commentary. Which, if you're looking for a commentary to preach from, is actually really good. They have a lot of good stuff. Uh, v. Phillips Long also makes it note of that in the Tyndale series. Nice. I love the Tyndale Commentary series. They're so approachable. They're they're pretty good. Um, so just to get it, just to say the thing. Mm-hmm. Because there is a surprising amount of people that go in this direction. I thought with this we passage. agreed we weren't going to talk about this. Oh, I thought we weren't just going to talk about it like in depth for like you know an hour and a half. So, so we just say it's not true, right? <laughs> Everyone knows what we're discussing. Let's no. talk about it before we say it's not um, true. Joel, yeah, is Jonathan gay? See, if you look at kind of uh, warriors that fight together um, in older stories like taking Gilgamesh and Enkidu or something like that and putting them together there's been a lot of speculation that there is a sexual element to that friendship um and that's 
to me, that's speculation, right? Like if you take the, the political aspects of, of, uh, Jonathan being, you know, loyal to David, um, and even giving over like his, his prince status to David, mm-hmm. um, I feel like what's being communicated is is closer to political than to any kind of romant, romantic. Well, well I think thing. I think it's also a little bit of the people that do that look at Greek warrior bromance stuff, mm-hmm. and then they read they just superimpose that into mm-hmm. into the ancient Near East mm-hmm. wildly and liberally, and it's and? it's it's not fair to the Greek culture or the ancient Near Eastern culture, which in of itself is multifaceted, mm-hmm. and the the idea of homosexuality being against Levitical law is laid down long before this would be here. Yeah. Right. Which means the scholars and the scribes that would be not only editing, but originating this text, writing this down for the first time would be familiar that they're portraying the King of Israel, the greatest King of Israel, um, in a light that would be contrary to Levitical law. Yeah. And I and, just, I don't see that being a, a possibility. And even from like a hermeneutics perspective on like the passage, like an exegesis perspective, mm-hmm. the entire thing is shrouded in, they're making a covenant. Mm-hmm. It's trans transfer of the princely image mm-hmm. of that's the whole giving him his like clothing and his robes and his weapons, yeah, um, which would have been royal and would have been royal implements mm-hmm. and stuff like that. And then the... um all of the languages of that covenant mm-hmm. and you're making, you're taking that one phrase, that one word, the love between the two of them. And you're making that the whole thing yeah. rather than everything that's in the passage. Yeah. You're letting one word determine your, your view of the passage rather than letting the passage inform, inform how your you view read of the, the words. Word. Yeah. And so, um, I think there is so v long um, comments. The closest the closest verbal analog to this statement in the Bible is perhaps the description of Jacob's attachment to his son Benjamin, which is yep. in Genesis forty four thirty, which is for his life is bound up with the boy's life. Yes, and that's Judah telling. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, why can't I think Joseph? of his name? Joseph. Yeah, like hey, I can't like no, uh, our father's emotional connection to mm-hmm. Benjamin is so, is so strong that if Benjamin dies, he'll die. Yeah. And so that, that appears to be um, perhaps akin to what's going on here. Yeah. If you just look at the use of the word, it is different words. It is different oh, okay. words. Yeah. yeah. Um, but it may be a more helpful analogy of what's going on with the whole, like their souls are united. Right. Mm-hmm. And like mm-hmm. that may be closer to what's going on there, especially yeah. with that soul united. Yeah, I, I just lean towards um, Saul being stripped away of those closest to him. Yeah. I think it's... Um, there's also, he, he gets into the same commenter. He gets into an interesting thing of how it's like, Jonathan plays a big role in Saul's conquests previously, mm-hmm. but he's not mentioned with Goliath. Why? Why is Jonathan not there? Why is Jonathan the one who's like, hey, the Lord's going to give us... Like the battle, what's the problem? Trust God, we got this, mm-hmm. right? Why is he not there? And so long, this is his argument. I think it's a little far-fetched, but I'm, it's interesting enough that I'm going to mention it, is that um, Jonathan knows that the kingdom of Israel has been taken away from his mm-hmm. father. 
and he knows that someone else is going to rise up and take it. And so he doesn't come to, he's, he's waiting to see who God's going to send to take on Goliath. Cause he knows the, 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 the kingdom, the kingship being taken away from him is not just him, but his family line. Yep. And so if Jonathan shows up and does it, then he knows he's not the one that shows up and does it. Mm-hmm. And there's also a distinction, um, and we'll get into it a little bit actually coming in the next few verses as well. Um, why does why does Jonathan give him the like the the princely robe, the armor, the this? It's because he knows mm-hmm. he knows he's not going to inherit the throne. Yep. And yet he's a faithful servant of God. And that's kind of already been depicted a little bit with Eli, where it's like God's judgment's poured out, and he's like, okay, I'm yep. accepting God's judgment. Yeah. Yep. Um, and yet, in this case, the judgment was caused by Saul, not yep. Jonathan. And Jonathan's just... and jo- But it's not, it's not going to turn out bad for Jonathan. It's not going to turn out bad for Jonathan so to speak. The judgment is on Saul and it just means that he won't be king. Yeah. But it's it's not like Jonathan's been promised to be killed or although he is. Although um, he does die. Um he's not promised, you know, you and your sons have taken away my glory. Yeah. It's just, hey, you did some bad. Yeah. Yeah. Um and the sins of the father passed down to the son. Carry on. Yeah. Yep. Okay. Starting back up in verse five. And David went out and was successful wherever Saul sent him. So that Saul sent him over the men of war, set him over the men of war. And this was good in the sight of all the people and also in the sight of Saul's servants. As they were coming home, when David returned from striking down the Philistines, a woman came out, the woman came out of the cities of Israel, singing and dancing to meet King Saul with tambourines and songs of joy. And with a musical with musical instruments, and the women came to sing to one another as they celebrated. Saul has struck down his thousands, and David his tens of thousands. And Saul was very angry, and and sorry, and this saying displeased him. He said, "They have ascribed to David tens of thousands, and to me they have ascribed thousands. And what can he do but have the kingdom?" And Saul eyed David from that day on. Dun, dun, dun. Suspicion is raised. Yeah, but he already knows that his, <laughs> that his kingdom's not his. He already knows that he's going to lose the kingdom. I like that they still aren't portraying Saul in a negative light. They're like, oh, he's, he's slain thousands. And David slayed tens of thousands. Mm -hmm. It's like... It's not an insult. It's not exactly an insult, but it is. Well, and at least um, what I read elsewhere was it probably shouldn't be... Is it time for you to take your pills? I I guess so. It's not turning off. Okay, there you go. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Is it's probably not meant as an insult, even. Mm. um, Because of how... Hebrew poetry works and, yeah. and the prose and all that. Um, it, but the part of the part of the issue is that it does just elevate David to the same or higher um, 
than Saul, no matter what it does, even if it's not an insult to, to Saul. Um, I do find it interesting, just like funny brain moment for mm-hmm. me, where it's just like the auto oh, women are singing in his name. Now, what is he? Could he take next the yeah. whole kingdom? Yeah. <laughs> First, he takes the women, then the kingdom. <laughs> oh man, it does gotta seem that way. Yeah, it 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 is that way. I mean, <laughs> the amount of wives of these kings during the United Monarchy. Terrible. The other thing that's interesting is because like David is now kind of acting as Saul's champion. Yeah. yeah. And so it's almost like, of, of course he should be defeating more people. Like in the same way that Goliath probably killed a lot more people than the king of Philistia. Dude, I would play a dungeon crawler as David just because of how much loot he's getting in this whole passage. Oh, yeah. You know, he just got, like, the armor of Goliath. <laughs> then he's getting the priestly robes. And now uh, he's getting multiple wives. The priestly robes? And the princely. Princely robes. Sorry. And 10,000 men's belongings. Uh, yeah, okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's... Which also plays... It's showing you that the... the Saul's character is getting worse. Yeah. That he's he's not just making moral failings when he's disobeying God or because he thought he was doing good or I'll do this, maybe that'll please God. Stuff like that. It's now actively he's cynical and resentful of a man who's doing well. Because and he's not the spotlight. And that's and that's not good. Yeah. Uh, I think there's also He's not accepting the fate that God has dealt like with Eli, mm. right? No, or like his son. Mm-hmm. He's fighting it. Really? You think that Saul is more active in his rebellion against this judgment I, that God has placed I think him. so. The fact that he's like, what is he going to take next, the kingdom? It's not yours. The yeah. kingdom has been told that it mm-hmm. will, has been torn from you. Yeah, that's fair. He is equating the kingdom with his reputation there. Mm-hmm. And yep. that as if it's his, but it's already been like, mm-hmm. but he's already been informed by Samuel that it will be given to another. Whereas mm-hmm. Eli said, and you could sense it where he's like, the Lord has told you to say something to me. And he it. knows. Yeah. And he knows. And when he say said it. it's like, okay. Yep. yep. So be it. Yep. Starting back up in verse 10. The next day, a harmful spirit from God rushed upon Saul, and he raved within his house while David was playing the lyre. As he... (laughs) Joel's over there raving, just dancing in the chair. (laughs) As he did day by day, Saul had his spear in hand, and Saul hurled the spear, for he thought, I will pin David to the wall. But David evaded him twice. Saul was afraid of David because the Lord was with him, but he had departed from Saul. So Saul removed him from his presence and made him a commander of thousands. And he went out and came in before the people. And David had success in all his undertakings, for the Lord was with him. And when David saw that he had great success, he stood in fearful awe of him. But all of Israel and Judah loved David, for he went out and came in before them. Okay, I have a few thoughts. That's what's, good. What's interesting is uh, it says that the harmful spirit rushed upon Saul, mm-hmm. which is the same way as the Holy Spirit rushed upon Saul. I have a real hard time with that. I know. 
Yeah, bothers um, me. The other thing is, the other thing is that when he attacks him, right? Because, uh, where is it? Where is it? We mentioned earlier in the previous passage where when the Holy Spirit, it, sorry, the yes, the Spirit was with. David and that what he was still around Saul, Mm -hmm. even though he had left Saul, the spirit was still with David and David's with Saul the whole time, right? Is now that he's fallen into his resentment so much that the presence of the spirit is now something he hates. Yeah. And he wants to get David away from him. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Some translations have evil. Some have harmful. This is going to sound progressive. Every now and then I feel like I say something like progress theologically progressive on the podcast mm-hmm. and people I, I worry that people will think that I'm like ah he's a he's a progressive theologian and I'm, I'm, I'm not I just like having consistent hermeneutics okay um, and those things aren't correlated it's just let's start off with something that, that everyone agrees on okay what was hidden in the old is revealed in the new yes right okay a progressive revelation we do believe that more of God's character and his plan and his purpose for humanity is revealed in the New Testament. Mm-hmm. That's why we, when you and I can read the Old Testament here, when it says the Spirit of God, we can say, ah, the Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. Right? And I think we can say that. Mm-hmm. Um, so I also think that the, the theological conception and beliefs of the Old Testament authors and ed- editors um, are prior than some yes. later developments. Thus, they have no problem then saying, recording like the evil spirit that God sent, mm-hmm. right? Whereas later authors of a more theologically developed articulation would m- change it slightly, mm-hmm. right? And you see that even reflected in certain moments between um, First Kings and uh, Kings and Chronicles. I, um, yeah. We won't get into that, but it, I, yeah. that does happen. Um, so I, th- I think that's... Yeah. yeah. There is one other good example, actually in Samuel, um, when David has to take the census, and it says the Spirit of God... Sorry, uh, God entices him to make a census. Yeah, how do you then, harmonize that with with well, James? No, well, no, no. And then in Second Chronicles, it says Sa- the Satan entice David yeah. to make the census. And, yeah. and you see yeah. theological convictions uh, shift with God moving through, I would argue, the, the theological conception along with their scripture, the tradition of Israel mm-hmm. coming about throughout the ages. Yeah. Um, and what you see... You also, you also see it to their belief in the afterlife. Yes. Um, yeah. But what you see, and then you see it heavily laid in the prophets later on in the Bible... Um, is this idea that God continuously asserts himself that he is Lord over the good and the evil. Mm-hmm. And so, whereas it's alluded to in these stories, like, for example, God giving an evil spirit to Saul as judgment for his sin, or the the sending of... God's enemies to God's people as an act of judgment in exile. Um, that God being God over good and evil. Yeah. 
has is the Lord over it. The evil is not an opponent that is of well, I mean, in dualistic Isaiah, power. Isaiah 40, 45, um, I think it's, yeah, it's seven. Um, for I form light and create darkness. I bring prosperity and I create disaster. For mm-hmm. I, the Lord, do these things. Or Amon, when he, in Amos, when he opposes uh, Israel and he brings the destruction on them, he says, I will, I will look upon you. Uh, not for good, but not for, for good, but for evil. Yeah. And you even have in Habakkuk yeah. where, where the Lord follows to judgment, pestilence follows. And I mean, you even have that whole thing yeah. per, like set up in Revelation. It's not just the Old Testament. This is, this yeah. is the God of the Bible. Yeah. Yeah. Well, he brings the Ark of the Covenant to five other nations, to five other Philistine cities previous to this and decimates them. We went on a tangent. Yeah, there. I suppose. Yeah. I, I like your point of uh, what is in the Old Testament is revealed in the New. How, how did you phrase that? Uh, what is hidden in the Old. Oh, hidden in the Old is revealed in the New. Um, um, that's half the quote. There's a second half. What is What is hidden in the Old is revealed in the New. And what is either, it's either like what is presented in the New is laid in the Old. Yeah. It, it, there's a two. There's it's, it's a yeah. two sentence saying. Yeah. Um, I don't know if I've heard it, but I feel like I did. Probably in a GK Beale. Um, he yeah. does a New mm-hmm. Testament biblical theology that's really good. He has an entire biblical theology of mystery that I would love to read. Okay, mm-hmm. but anyway, we're we're yeah, we'll, we'll get off of that a little bit. So that does answer my question so far as what does an evil spirit from God mean, and why in the world? Because in my mind, it's more of a demonic oppression thing. Yeah. That's what I had previously thought. But if it is just the judgment of God um, fighting against the now hardened heart of Saul, I think I'm a little more comfortable with that. Yeah. Um, and I, it actually explains the human aspect a lot more than just making this some kind of spiritual um, influence. Yeah, or even psychological. Yeah, okay. as as it was taken, as we kind of batted around the idea previously, a little couple episodes ago. Yeah. Um, do you guys find it interesting how the it's not a euphemism because it's not, but it's just the hey for when he goes out has massive success and then comes back in. Yeah, and it's mm-hmm. just like the terminology is he goes out massive success. He's a beautiful mil- military commander, and then he comes back in, and it's this this like feeling of yeah. every time. He goes out, has success. He grows popular. He his yep. popularity grows. Mm-hmm. His his reputation grows, and it's just like he and can't solve the Saul can't solve the problem. Well, no. And what's interesting is every time he attempts to kill him, because it says he throws the spear at him, and but David evaded him twice. Yeah, is that every time he attempts to kill him, he's just pushing David into success. Mm-hmm. So his own fear and hatred for what's happening is causing. He's he's increasing David's success by constantly driving him away from could, him. Could you imagine the tension in the royal, like in in the royal court? Yeah, it's just like, oh, why is there holes in the drywall? Oh, Saul just threw a spirit, David. Why is there drywall? <laughs> oh, that's so in, so because when they go out, they both get praised for doing great, mm-hmm. right? So the people outside of the castle think everything's fine. Mm-hmm. These two guys are doing great things. They're defending mm-hmm. the kingdom. They're working together. He's Saul setting David on all these military expeditions while he stays home. Mm-hmm. You know, they're there. So he can govern us while he's got a champion who yeah. is this awesome warrior. Meanwhile, behind the door, 
David's dodging spears and that's probably why it's like that's why david's so good at fighting right now is because no matter where he goes he's always fighting he's always fighting (laughs) yeah continue so in chapter 17 one of the rewards for Mm -hmm. killing goliath was marriage of saul's daughter so picking up in verse 17 then saul said to david Here is my elder daughter, Mirab. I will give her to you for a wife. Only be valiant for me and fight the Lord's battles. For Saul thought, let not my hand be against him, but let the hand of the Philistines be against him. And David said to Saul, who am I and who are my relatives? My father's clan in Israel, sorry, my father's clan in Israel, that I should be son-in-law of the king. But at that time, when Mirab, Saul's daughter, should have been given to David, she was given to Adriel, the, the Metholite, for a wife. Metholo, Methololite. Pills again, lots. I don't know, man. Meholothite. Meholothite, thank you. You're welcome. We'll, eh, yeah, we'll stop there. Yeah. So, there's a couple weird things. He's like, hey, let my hand not be against him. But he's throwing spears at him anyway. Well, I think it's, now he's like... That's not working. <laughs> yeah. Let's send him to the enemy. <laughs> which, then, is what, which is also what he had just been doing. <laughs> then the solution that Saul is proposing is I give my daughter to you, making you part of my family. Which which is what he does. No, I, I would say that there's something else going on here. Okay. Because he gives his, this Mirab, his daughter, he tries to give him to David. David says no. But then the next verse, and we'll go into this in a second, says... Um, now Saul's daughter, Michael was in love with David. Mm. It was, there was a desire. It wasn't that David was being brought into Saul's house. It was that Saul's house is jumping ship and going with David. Like, I think there's very much the, the direction of power is intentional here. Um, at least in, in my mind. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't think I'm reading that onto the text. I think it's pretty explicit that all of these things are like, and then everyone loved David. <laughs> It's like and Saul yeah. was mad. Yeah and, yeah, and Saul can go suck an egg. I guess better <laughs> better call Saul. I guess <laughs> I should have saved that for a better time to say that. It's also interesting that we have another story where um, now this is common in the patriarchs when we were doing the patriarch episodes. Oh no, I just saw a couple verses ahead. Where one second, um, where uh, the eldest daughter is offered, mm. and the the figure that is being empowered by God says, nah, yeah. I, I don't want the oldest. Yeah. Which is the same as Jacob where he's like, no, I, I don't want the oldest, which is a huge insult. Yeah. And a huge problem. Well, especially if the eldest daughter is not married first. Yes. That's the, that's yeah. What? And so, but now that she's married off at the end of that verse, it's like, oh, okay. Now, now it's okay. Which Yeah. yeah. It's a cultural thing that we just, yeah. Yeah, we don't realize the level of disrespect that David would have been positioning towards Saul in his rejection of marriage. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Although I don't then, know if disrespect is the right one either. And, but then he also it's it's shrouded in piety and humbleness. Yes, mm. right. Like it's like he's, I, shrouded might not even be the the right word because I think it might be legitimate. Well, yeah, because he's just like, no, I don't deserve it. Yeah. So what? I killed the Goliath, and you promised your your daughter. My family's like you know common people in yeah Israel. What? what? Now, here's the thing. David knows he's going to be king. Mm-hmm. So is he 
Is he covering his bases? Who knows? <laughs> like, is he like, no, 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 no. Or is he, tr- or is he onto it? Is he saying like, no, I can't be a part of his family. Because I'm supposed to be another. Because I'm supposed to be the other. Mm. Uh, it's not the continuation of. But I like I like where Joel is going with that. Yeah. Um, this next one's going to be a bit of a bit of a read, so we'll just yeah. jump right into it. Okay. Absolutely. Picking back up at twenty. Now Saul's di- da- now Saul's daughter Michael loved David, and they told Saul, and the thing pleased him, for Saul thought, "Let me give her to him, that she may be a snare for him, and that." the hand of the Philistines may be against him. Therefore Saul said to David a second time, you shall now be my son-in-law. And Saul commanded his servants, speak to David in private and say, behold, the king has delight in you and all his servants love you. Now then become the king's son-in-law. And Saul's servants spoke spoke these words in the ears of David. And David said, does it seem to you a little thing to become the king's son-in-law since I am a poor man and have no reputation? Sorry. <laughs> I didn't do anything. <laughs> I couldn't. Anyway, uh, 24. And the servants of Saul told him, thus and so do David speak. And Saul said, thus shall you say to David, the king describes no bride price except a hundred foreskins for the Philistines, from the Philistines. And he, and he may be avenged by the king's enemies. So Saul thought to make David fall by the hand of the Philistines. And when his servants told David these words, it pleased David well to be the king's son-in-law before the time had expired. Sorry, before the time had expired, David arose and went along with his men and killed 200 of the Philistines. And David brought their foreskins, which were given in a full number to the king, that he might become the king's son-in-law. And Saul gave him his daughter Michael for a wife. But when Saul saw and knew that the, that the Lord was with David and that Michael, Saul's daughter, loved him, Saul was even more afraid of David. So Saul was David's enemy continually. Okay, so here's the thing. Worst job ever. Who counted the foreskin? That's what I'm saying, right? <laughs> we mm. talked about this in class. Yeah. <laughs> yes. The prof thought it was hilarious. Oh, he loved it. I don't think he had an answer, but there's not really an answer. It's yeah. just, well, okay. yeah, that would suck. Here's the thing. David had to count them. Also, he's defiled now for a little bit. Yes. Also, <laughs> why do you think Dave, why the foreskin? This is such an awkward conversation, but why did Saul say, hey, that? Why not? Why not like headhunters would go for scalps? There's there's other parts like ears, whatever that people yep. in weird cultures go for. Hands is. Do you think it's because, like, well, here's the thing. You know how other we mentioned it actually when we talked about the 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 arc going on its rampage. Yes. Um. Armies would cut off a body part that it signif- that is significant to that god to their god. Mm-hmm. Um. Circumcision is a sign of the covenant. Is there is there a more Jewish thing in that realm when it's just like, oh yeah, look at the big army that's got oh, they're all circumcised. I wonder who does that. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, fair enough. It also uh Saul doesn't say you have to kill him. 
Yeah, it it is interesting. <laughs> and then it says that David killed him, but it, which is fair because like you're not going to get a lot of volunteers. <laughs> no, here's the thing. Do you think he actually like did the surgery, or do you it's think him he, and his men? Yeah, or do you think he got his men to do it? Oh, he uh, like he killed them all. <laughs> then, well, I think it's it's implied that he and his men would do it all, right? Yeah, but like also, I don't know. To me, I just can't get over the counting run, right? Right, because. 121, 122, 120, oh, 123, 124. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, I get that. It's terrible. Do you think, okay, because there's, there's a parallel story here where um, Simon and Levi yes. uh, go and demand that all of the guys that want to marry their their sister that they... Um, Grape. Yes. Um, they, they demand that they have to get circumcised and then they kill them all. Yes. Because they had to walk like they're riding a horse. Yes. <laughs> I think the mercy was killing them first. It doesn't say they're killing them first. Is it? <laughs> I think it's implied. <laughs> implied I, I think it's the logical conclusion. Imagine yeah. being forced circumcised and then <laughs> killed. <laughs> well, no, because that that that's suck. what I mean. Is like, do you think the like? If you're forced to enter the covenant, are you entering the covenant? Uh, what about infants? Anyway, moving on. <laughs> yeah. No, I, I yes. just, yes. I don't know. No, but I mean, like, maybe so. Is there a significance beyond just. And those are the 200 Philistines that made it to heaven. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they were very yeah. confused, but a little relieved. <laughs> Do you think God's like you guys are lucky? Like, well, I mean that would only that, that would only be if they were circumcised before they were killed. Okay, so this let's <laughs> let's sorry. go back to I'm a sorry. little bit earlier. This is when Saul's like, "I'm gonna trick him," yeah, mm-hmm. and then David's like, "I'm not even that cool," and he goes, "Yeah, you are. You become part of my family, or else." <laughs> <laughs> To me, there's just the amount of arrogance on one side for Saul is so but high. But here's the thing. But, but he, then the story's opinion of David is so much higher. Here's, but right? here's the so, thing. David says, I have no reputation. Yeah. Which is not true. Yeah, is the he being humble? Is, wild. is he being humble? I think so. Because also the fact that, think about it this way. Or is David I mean, being a, a little sneaky? Imagine, well, it's probably a bit of both. But imagine, like, I have no reputation. And it's like, anyway, 200 foreskins. And would be like, oh, yeah, I can do that. What? Yeah. <laughs> or is he saying, no, it's not me. It's the Lord. It's also requested 100 and then it's 200. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's, no, here's the thing. <laughs> I think David is weird saying all of this and then doing the crazy stuff with a little smile. It was like, hey, guys, get a load of this. Do you want to guess what Saul's going to do? So I was going to lose his mind when I do this. Because <laughs> I told him I have no reputation. <laughs> I'm not known for anything like killing more people than you want. Yep. That that might be it. It's What's wild is he goes and works for the Philistines a little bit after this. Yeah. No, no, no. That's <laughs> something no, else. No, no. What's crazy is like he's known for killing more people than Saul wants him to. Right, mm-hmm. he doesn't want him to kill as many people well, as him. He's just more successful. Yeah, mm-hmm. like I mean, here, but and then specifically, he says, "I have no reputation," which is all based on his success, right? 
And then, like in the passage where it's Saul kills his thousands, David kills his ten thousands, David is told by Saul to kill a hundred men and kills more. Yeah. So he's... Did he choose to, or did 200 men just attack him, it and does then he has to defend himself? It sounds more like a raiding party to me, which means that yeah. they broke into a village, killed the men, m- mutilated their corpse, and then ran away. Can you imagine this from the Philistines' perspective? Oh, what? <laughs> yeah, but it's... Is the 200 intentional... Is the 200 intentional, or was it 200 men attacked him? Because if it's 200 men, then he intentionally attacked 200 I think, men. I think you're Here's missing up Here's the soul. thing. If he brought it back and he was like, I did this for self-defense, they'd be like, no, you didn't. <laughs> no, but that's <laughs> what I mean. It, so, sounds, it sounds more like a raiding party. Like he, he went into Philistine yes. lands, caught people that were just doing their stuff, and then mutilated their body. Yes, but he intentionally did more than asked. Right. For what reason? He's really good at raiding. No, but why does he do more? Why does he do exactly double? And to I show off, to flex. Yes. Because he's more successful. Because, But it's so backwards to his statement where he says, I have oh, no yeah. reputation for doing oh, yeah. double what you do. So he's, he's lying and mocking to him. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I guess so. Think about it this way. Is he egging Saul on? Michael's happy to marry a man. And she's like, oh, what, was, what, was your, what was your dowry? Uh, uh, bag of, yeah, you know what. <laughs> Which yeah. is funny because he already did something like this to get a wife. Yeah. Yeah, he already. He, he was already, already promised the wife for killing Goliath. Yeah. Yeah. Um, anyway, finishing up chapter seven, uh, chapter 18. Then the, starting at 30, then the commanders of the Philistines came out to battle, and as often as they came out, David had more success than all the servants of Saul, so that, so that his name was highly esteemed. Yeah. David's just good at war, man. I do find it interesting that it goes, David raided the Philistines' lands and killed 200 of them and mutilated their corpse to get a wife. Anyway, so the Philistines came out and were like, what? And then they declared war. <laughs> like you do. Yeah. I'd be pretty well. It's like, ah, you know, you win some, you lose some. It's like, no, this is, what is this guy? <laughs> Which is interesting because they know they're going to war with the nation that has David. Mm-hmm. And Saul. Like, it's no yeah. small thing that Goliath went, oh, you servants of Saul. Well, and yeah. what's crazy is like, after he was a coward with David and Goliath, Right, he's then rewarded for having gone out to battle. So, did he get his courage back? I think it's it's the when your army's doing good, you're a good commander. Yeah, but that's what's interesting is he's not a coward anymore for that section after David and yeah. David and Goliath, which is like, is if he got courage, maybe he's just the tall man in the room again. Yeah. Anyways. Shall I read the next section? It yes, also please. says, and his name became well known, which is, just subverts the earlier yeah. thing. Yeah. 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 As if it wasn't already. Yes. Okay. Chapter 19. Um, I'm going to read to verse 7. And Spall. Spall. <laughs> <laughs> and Saul spoke to Jonathan, his son, and to all his servants, and they should, that they should kill David. But Jonathan, 
Saul's son, delighted much in David. And Jonathan told David, Saul, my father seeks to kill you. Therefore, be on your guard in the morning. Stay in a secret place and hide yourself. And I will go out and stand beside my father in the field where you are. And I will speak to my father about you. And if I learn anything, I will tell you. And Jonathan spoke well of David to Saul, his father, and said to him, Let not the king sin against his servant David, because he has not sinned against you. And because his deeds have brought good to you. For he took his wife in his hand, and he struck down the Philistines, and the Lord worked in great salvation for all of Israel. You saw it and rejoiced. Why then will you sin against the innocent blood by killing David's David without cause? And Saul listened to the voice of Jonathan. Saul swore, as the Lord lives, he shall not be put to death. And Jonathan called David, and Jonathan reported to him all these things. Jonathan brought David to Saul, and he was in his presence as before. Saul is inconsistent, mm-hmm. like most leaders towards the end of their reign. They begin to become desperate and self-contradictory, and it only further destabilizes the whole situation. He's, I think he's so broken with having been chosen by God, denied by God, having success, having failure in and he's been called out multiple times by the prophet mm-hmm. for what seemed like rash attempts at piety not thought through and ended up being disobedience yeah um and now he's gotten so cynical and resentful and narcissistic he's experiencing all three of the dark triad um <laughs> like yeah emotions which puts you in the like the worst of male behavior yeah um and in a sense that is a perversion of masculine leadership yeah yes yeah Yeah, you're talking about the extremes of evil male violence yeah the 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 kind of stuff that puts you in prison Mm -hmm. um and he's deeply resentful of someone who is successful and chosen by god and he's cynical about the world and he's lying constantly. Well, and part of the thing is, is he lying in this moment? Like, like most people in those situations, mm-hmm. right? People who are actually, I think, I think a, a book that I think we all have read. And I think we even talked on a, I think we did a, no, what was it? What have you read on it? Is Notes from Underground. Yeah. Yeah. The man from underground lies to himself always. Yeah. yeah. And he's very akin to this where it's the, this. People hate me. People hate me. I'm going to do better. I can't do better. I'm going to promise to do better. I can't fulfill my promises. Who am I? Anyway, screw you. Going like yeah. all over the place. Yeah. And it's this unreliable, unstable. Yeah. Yeah. And so I, at least the way I read it, I actually think. Saul's honest when he's talking here, but he is not in a position to even know himself. No. And, and he's done this so many times now. Like even in the last chapter, his back and forth, kill, don't kill, send him to be killed, attempt to kill him, marry him off, try to get him in the family, kill him. Yeah. Like, yeah, he's imagine Jonathan's position where he's like, he knows his, his father's going to lose yeah, the kingdom. He obviously sees David as Lord's anointed. 
Yep. And, but what's interesting, and I like this about Jonathan, is he's honoring his father. Yeah. Um, he's not breaking that commandment. He's not cursing him. Yeah. Which is, he pleads with him. Honorable. Yeah. Great guy. Unfortunate. <laughs> um, and that leads us to our next section. And there was war again. And David went out and fought with the Philistines and struck them with a great blow so that they fled before him. Then a harmful spirit from the Lord came upon Saul as he sat in his house with his spear in his hand. And David was playing the lyre. And Saul sought to pin David to the wall with the spear, but he eluded Saul so that he struck the spear into the wall and David fled and escaped that night. So this is interesting. Saul just has his spear. Mm Mm-hmm. In his hands. And it's often depicted as if they're the only ones in that room. Not likely. No. Yeah. yeah. Like, well, it would probably be his court assembled. Right? Yeah. Like that he would be maybe on his throne, but more likely on a couch or something similar. Yeah. And it's um, people discussing politics and what's going mm-hmm. on. And, mm-hmm. It's him still being king. Yeah. And even, even while he still is the king, he cannot stand those who are also being brought up. Yeah. It's... It, now I'm going to take a little bit of a side tangent here, but it's a it's a mark of bad leadership. If uh, if somebody in leadership above you cannot stand to see others also in leadership, that's a red flag. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, if you feel jealousy towards those that God is using, that's a red flag, right? So I, I think we we should see ourselves both as David and as Saul here, right? That we aspire to be David, to be raising up through the ranks and still being of service to those in. Um, in leadership, but at the same time, we're more likely to be Saul, where we don't, we're kind of trying to step on the heads of those who are also coming up alongside of us. We see them as threats. Um, Which is why the, one of the greatest skills as a leader is, is proper delegation of finding somebody that's better than you at a certain task and yeah. giving them that task. Well, training your replacement is, is a model of mentorship, mm-hmm. well, right? Well, I just mean like that the, in the example of let's say a CEO, right? The whole point of the business as a structure is you need to, as the creator of the business, right? You come up with, and you're doing everything, right? You're doing sales, you're doing marketing, you're doing all this stuff, but your goal is to find somebody that's good at marketing yeah. better than you that can replace you. Yeah. And then you need to find somebody that's good at sales, mm-hmm. that's better at sales than you are and replace you. And you need to replace all the aspects that you do in the business, except for the delegation of tasks and like the, the headship part and give that to other people and find them mm-hmm. in ways and train them or find people that are better than you and get them on board because you don't, there are better people than you in the room and you need those people to do that part. And then they need to find people that can do those tasks within that branch that they're over that are better than them at it and get them to do it and Mm -hmm. building up and structuring. Absolutely. Right. And so the, and you see the same thing in churches and you see the same thing in Kings. You need to, the King needs smarter generals than he Mm-hmm. to counsel him the mm-hmm. the the king needs wiser men than he to counsel him yeah and so well and i think i don't know to to me i get reminded of good f- 
fathers don't see their sons as threats. Mm -hmm. Mm. They want to propel them so that they are more financially stable than when, than when they were their son's age, Mm -hmm. Um, more mature, more put together, more competent, more uh, emotionally aware, more theologically grounded. They are excited for their son to be further along. If, if, as a parent, and I think it's true, probably as 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 both uh, with both parents, but I, I think it's it's easy to see it within that father son relationship. Yep. Um, the success or to be outshined by your son mm-hmm. is not something to be feared, because if you if your son does outshine you and you are trying to raise them up, right, mm-hmm. yeah. give them the best life that you can. That's what you want as a parent, right? You're trying to give them all of the wisdom, all of the knowledge, all of the ways to live that you have gained, that you know are good because you've weeded out the bad, exactly. so to speak. And so yeah. if yeah. if Saul had taken the the same approach mm-hmm. that his son did, yeah, recognizing that this is God's anointed leader, we would have a completely different Bible. We have no idea what that would be. Not in whole, but you know what I mean. This chapter, these chapters, mm-hmm. would be totally, totally different. Yeah. yeah. So that that's that's the the imagery that I'm getting from it, and I know that that's not all of that super comparative. But well, I think I we know. would have seen something similar to Eli, where he was like he he was being judged, and yet he told Samuel, "You need to obey the Lord. Mm-hmm. Don't do what I did." Right. When he tells you a message, give it. Mm-hmm. Don't. And so you see that, that that little bit of that little instance in there where it's like Eli is giving the little bit of advice he has to Samuel mm-hmm. where he's like, do the right thing. Yeah. And Saul's not doing that to David. And note that, uh, at least from my memory, there is nothing in God's judgment of Saul for with the Amalekites of his death. Mm. Um. His death may not have come so violently by his own hand mm-hmm. if he had followed in the pattern of his son. Yeah. Well, in relation to David. Absolutely. Because you have many kings, there are a few kings of Israel and a few people that pray that remember me speech, mm-hmm. that prayer, um, where they, they actually repent, mm-hmm. not the Saul's attempt at a few more moments of life. A few more, no, 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 don't, don't, don't take this from me. Yeah. Um, and you see God actually reinstill with Manasseh, worst king of Israel, he reinstills the kingdom to him. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you have, it. there could have been something like that where God says, okay, but you're going to work with David. He's going to be king. Like the kingdom's still not yours, Yeah. but like, it's not going to like, but it doesn't have to be bad. It doesn't have to be the as bad as it can be. Yeah, yeah. I, this is one of the reasons why I don't understand. Like, I can only see Saul as a tragedy, mm-hmm. at least to me. Yeah, um, as, as a, tra- a tragic character rather than a villain. You say? Oh, I, he is a villain. Yeah, but he is a. It is. I, it is a tragic tragedy narrative. I, I made that connection early on with Saul and David being Cain and Abel, um, with the. One was a farmer, one is a shepherd, one tries to kill the other. Um, and you see the same thing with Cain and Saul, where it's they're offered, hey, don't do this. Mm. It's it's at your door. You right. Don't do it. 
and then he tries to kill them. Yeah. And it's, and it's, he had an opportunity. He has these opportunities to turn around, but he's not. But David's a small, lanky guy and gets away. Yes. Yeah. Who, what is he? Like, cause he's, he's apparently big enough to beat a bear. Um, well, the Lord gives him over to him. Okay. In battle. So it might be that he's, he's not physically imposing at all. Okay. Could be. Told that he has beautiful eyes. Yeah. And a, and a, what was it? Rustic, robust. What was it? Oh, I don't remember. Ruddy. That's it. (laughs) Ruddy look. Um, Saul sent messengers to David's house to watch him, that he might kill him in the morning. But Michael, David's wife, Saul's daughter, told him, if you do not escape with your life tonight, tomorrow you will be killed. So Michael let David down through the window, and he fled away and escaped. Michael took an image and laid it on the bed and put a pillow of goat's hair at its head and covered it with the clothes. And when Saul sent messengers to take David, she said, he is sick. Then Saul sent the messengers to see David, saying, Bring him up to me in the bed, that I may kill him. And when the messengers came in, behold, the image was in the bed with a pillow of goat's hair in its head. (laughs) Saul said to Michael, Why have you deceived me thus and let my enemies go so that he had escaped? Michael answered him, answered Saul. He said to me, let me go. Why should I kill you? Anyway, That's, this, um, this, what kind of goofy henchmen are these yeah. that they carried a bed to Saul and didn't notice it wasn't a real person? It feels like the Three Stooges. Also, big note, what is an image? It is an idol. It is a household god. Now, here's the thing. You would also make an image of kings and place it in a garden so that the people knew who the king looked like. Sure, yes. This is not the argument that you're making here, though, is it? Is the image a household god? What is the likelihood that it's a household god over the over an image of the king? If it is an image of the king, there is the political reason to have those. I I don't see the argument there. The connection, like that does exist. You're right. That yes. does. But you're talking <clears throat> a nation that just came out of tribalism. Yep. You're talking David who already is not on good standing with mm-hmm. Saul. Um, you're talking a nation that has tons, tons of, um, why can't I think of the word? Not monotheism. What's it called? You henotheism. Know, henotheism. Yep. Um, where you believe one God, but yep. other gods exist. Yes. But you follow one. Um, and that and that is, appears to be the standard. And Israeli kings later on do end up becoming, uh, do end up falling into that idol worship. Mm-hmm. Um, now, I'm not here arguing that David himself oh no uses it would be image it would be totally of line however the thing i think is funny is that it's saul's daughter Mm -hmm. puts the image there and it would be funny if it was her dad's face that she put the goat hair on so that when he turned it over he's like hey (laughs) hold on i recognize i recognize this man yeah I think that this supports the idea that henotheism is widely, 
practiced in ancient Israel. David himself appears to only devote himself to um, God. Israel's God. Yes. Um, and I think that, that can be reflected, that is seen all throughout the Psalms, or is the I call out to you only, only to you I serve, all that yeah. kind of stuff. Um, and yet, if he's, uh, like, he's allowing, mm-hmm. so it seems, um, if we're going to bring, I think, the least amount of explanation to the text, rather than trying to read in, there are household gods in his house, either his servants, mm-hmm. his yep. slaves, because, or Michael herself yep. has them. He's okay with having icons around. Yes. And you also have... Okay, so there's a few ways we can go with this. It's either the face of the king, which is whatever. We can put that there. But the other one is, like you're saying, the images of foreign gods, which... Many of the mercenaries of kings, like you'll see later with David, are not from that land. Mm-hmm. Usually your mercenaries, your closest bodyguards, were paid people that were separated from not the people that you were king over. Um, like David's mighty men, a lot of them were outside of his, from outside of Israel. Yep. Um, and so it could be theirs because he has people from outside the kingdom. And I think that would explain Michael's disrespect to the object. Yes. Um and on the other hand, Saul is experiencing a harmful spirit. He is not obeying God. Um, and Israelite kings later on fall into major idol worship yeah. repeatedly. Yeah. And so... And it's commonplace also throughout Judges. Yes. And so it could be that now that he has been rejected by God, he has gone elsewhere. Yeah. Regardless, David... Mm-hmm. has icons in his house. Saul has icons in his house. David has icons in his house. Like this is David's bed, so unless you Yes, want. but he's he's in the house of Saul. Um yes, I think metaphorically. I don't think that he's in the the generic palace because there's the whole um Saul sent messengers to David's house to watch him. Verse 11. Yep. They're watching him. Yes. If they were to leave, if a group of people were to leave, they would watch. The implication, at least what's implied, is nothing goes in and out of the house as far as the watchers can tell. Yes. David may sneak out, sure. Mm -hmm. But she doesn't go out, get an idol, come back, put it in. (laughs) The implication is that she grabs what's there so that David can sneak out. And so David has icons in his house. It is interesting that he uses image and not idol, though. Well, again, we could look that up. Do you mind looking it up? Uh, one of mine uses idol. Yeah, okay. it is. It is idol. Yeah, I think household god makes the most sense. I think that um, likely one of his servants, mm-hmm. who and, and henotheism is widely popular. Yep. At the time, I think David it shows throughout Psalms his mm-hmm. perhaps straight up monotheism, if not radical henotheism verging on monotheism. Yeah. If not just straight up monotheism and Michael's disrespect for the idol, I think indicates her, let's say either half hearted use of it, or it was one of their servants or something. Hmm. I I might be on Josh's side on this one. Really? You think it's a king? King's image? 
it seems like there would be less problems with that being around the house. Um, an image of the king. I think the likelihood of that is too low. Okay. Uh, to, to me, it's just a likelihood thing. Like I, it's, it seems like... This is the first time I've come across the issue. And like you said, you're reading ESV now? It must be an older version because I have the 2011 version and they use idle. Mm. Like, so mm. they, they changed it. Yeah. Um, I think, at least for me, the clearer understanding, despite mm-hmm. the fact that it's more difficult theologically, would be an idol. Yeah. yeah. Do we have any uh, commentary view on it? I can grab one. Um, the commentary I've read on it is that it is disputed. But I haven't okay. read any in-depth like that is what stuff. the NIV application Bible would say because I think that that's that's fair. Okay, yeah, I, I think I think we've represented the two sides, two sides here. Yeah, um, well, three sides because it could be in of David's own possessions. Yeah, which is the least likely. I I, I think the the testimony from Psalms is way too yeah. um, way too. I would argue verging on monotheism, if mm-hmm. not monotheistic itself, mm-hmm. or yeah. radical, radical, radical. I would say it's monotheist. Yeah, or radical, mm-hmm. radical, extremely radical henotheism. Yeah, mm. and then the least, the least theologically concerning, the least uh, theologically problematic, but the most historically um, in. Let's say improbable. Improbable is a good word. Would be the king's image. Interesting. I don't get the why it would be improbable. I don't think you see that well widespread in that area. Potentially. That happens in Greece, Rome, even less so in Egypt. In Babylon. At what time in Babylon? That That's the whole... the. Um, the origin of the idea. So in Genesis two, the which is the uh, polemic of the Babylonian creation story, that's why God makes man in their image in the garden is because it was in the Babylonian gardens they would put the king's image mm. to represent him. Right, but that'd be crazy, crazy expensive. Not often in in households, as far as I'm aware. Regardless, this yeah. now we're now we're we're also debating over things mm-hmm. that are not our fields of expertise. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Anyway, as the NIV application uh, commentary goes, it is disputed. Yes, yeah. which is a which is a good place to land. And now we end chapter nineteen. Now David fled and escaped, and he came to Samuel at Ramah, and told him all that Saul had done to him. And he and Samuel went and lived at Noyoth, and it was told Saul, "Behold, David is at Noyoth in Ramah." Then Saul sent messengers to David to take David. And when they saw the company of the prophets prophesying and Samuel standing as head over them, the spirit of God came upon the messengers of Saul and they also prophesied. Then it was told Saul, he sent other messengers and they also prophesied. And Saul sent messengers again in a third time and they also prophesied. Then by himself went to Ramah and came to the great well that is at Seku. And he said, where are Samuel and David? And one said, behold, they are at Noyoth in Ramah. And he went there to Nioth in Ramah, and the Spirit of God came upon him also. And as he went to prophesy, until it came, he came to Nioth in Ramah, and 
he too stripped off his clothes and he too prophesied before Samuel and lay naked all that day and all that night. Thus it is said, is Saul also among the prophets? Couple points of note. <laughs> yeah. So it's like, this is hey, a- all of his servants started prophesying. And then he also went and took off all his clothes and started prophesying. It's like, wait, they took off their clothes? <laughs> it's a little bit subverting expectations. Well, it's there also is- a wild twist to every the progression that we've been getting from Saul's life. Well, it also, we have a, a, the first real mentioning of like, hey, Samuel is head over this group of prophets. We mm-hmm. have prophets here and there. Right, they go around prophesying, and people will frame that in different ways. Mm-hmm. I, it appears to be an ecstatic form of speech that is this like, yeah, kind of euphoric in a way. Um, but yeah, that's interesting. Specifically related to the spear coming upon him, like it did when he became king. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And why is it happening again? Hmm. I don't know. Yeah. It's it's really up in the air. It does seem like they're attributing the reason that he did this to Samuel, though. I think it's it could be a bit of the where the presence of God, the Spirit of God, is active. Mm-hmm. Um, human will melts away. Mm. Yes, and he's still the Lord's anointed, which is mm-hmm. he's the Lord's anointed. The kingship has been taken from him. It's also, he's in, he's also out of his realm of control. Mm-hmm. He's where Samuel is. He's naked, if you will. Yes, but he, but he's not in the king's court. He's not in like a military installation. He's in the prophet's, prophet school at Nioth. Um. And so it's it's he's stepping outside outside of his authority structure. And so there's an interesting thing there. Yeah. And I wonder if this is also like another nod from God saying like hey it doesn't have to be bad. Sure. You know, look I, at any time, <laughs> the spirit could come upon you, and it doesn't have to be like it is right now. Right. Could be. At any time, this can turn around. Could be. Could be. And it's also a note that it's it's not your success or David, what you or David are doing. It's what I'm doing. That it's... It's because he doesn't do anything. The spirit just comes upon him and he prophesies. It's not that he was successful, that he won battles, that he did this great thing. No, he's actively doing nothing. Well, he's actively doing something wrong. Yeah. He's chasing after. And he asks for, where is Samuel and David? Mm-hmm. Like he's he's ready to fight Samuel for David. Yeah. It's also interesting that, like, of course, this comes before Jesus but this has the same pattern as two of his parables of a rich man sends servants to another land. Uh, where's my son? 
or uh the vineyard there there's the vineyard and there's the one where the 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 king sends his son and they kill him and yeah. then they send the messengers they they send the messengers the messengers and then they kill the son and yeah then I don't... he comes but it's a it's an interesting inversion it's not negative it's it's not positive it's negative it's i'm sending these guys to get david it's a there's a there's an interesting thing there yeah yeah i'm not sure i i mean to summarize kind of what we've talked about cuz we're we're at the end here and it seems it's funny i i know it's just funny that he strips naked and starts prophesying but we also began the last chapter with um, Jonathan giving up his robes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. To giving up like his, his position, his, um, you know, his, uh, mm-hmm. what, what is it? And he's day his attire. Like yeah. Exposure. And to me, it feels a, a little bit like this is God putting Saul back where he's supposed to be so that the rest of the story can play out. Mm. Right, like um, mm. they they feel like bookends a little bit because we we have that. Uh, like I'm not going to say it's like a chiasm, son. yeah, but uh, it's not a chiasm. But the but the <laughs> the beginning and the end are very reminiscent the, of each other. The beginning yeah. and end are are very reminiscent. They're bookends, and it's and I'm putting the, arbitrary beginning and ends because the, they're not like the beginning and ending of different stories or anything. The like bag that. of foreskins is is the main point, right? The main point is the center <laughs> of the chiasm is the bag of foreskins. Oh. I'll find a chiasm to make it for sure. That's going to make it to the intro. <laughs> um, <laughs> Yeah, it's a man. There's something just weird about this passage where, like, the king goes to this place and there's just this guy with all his students, mm-hmm. and they're all prophesying, like in the dojo. No, yeah, sorry. <laughs> or like, and they're away from everything. It's a, it's a bit weird. Yeah, it's got a bit of like a mystical aspect to it. It's like, yeah, it's a bit out of this world. Yeah. Like in, in a, in a, like I'm saying this as somebody who's witnessed a few miracles, right? So like, mm-hmm. uh, it's just weird. Imagine walking into the forest and just coming across this prophet with 40 men just speaking ecstatic, ecstatically. And you're Naked. like, and then all of a sudden you start doing it. <laughs> Yeah. And then you're just like, what is happening? Like, wait, where did this come from? <laughs> I like to think that... And it's not like... David's not listed among the prophets here. No. So is he just standing there going, cool? Yeah. <laughs> well, no, and, and that's what's interesting, because he's like, where's, where's Samuel and David? Samuel's there, but David's not. Well, I mean, he's around. It's implied. So I like to think that he's just off to the side, just... Oh, okay, just cool. hanging out. He just watches Saul walk up. Where is he? Ah. <laughs> what are you going to do about it? Well, I mean, that's another thing you say that seems kind of odd. Um, that whole world seems odd to me. The fact there are idols just laying around. Mm-hmm. Like for us, if there's something that's like laying around from the time of the judges, so we'll say 40, 50 years ago, it's like a Model T or whatever, right? It's something real old. And we're like, wow, that's a part of history. For them, it was like these ancient gods we think about now and idols to them. 
those were like household items that would have been created within the last hundred years. Yes, that is only a North American thing. Europeans are very different. They have old stuff. Fair enough. What I'm saying is that the ancient things that we're talking about, like idols, Mm -hmm. like the palace. Were everyday things, like my Lego. Like the... Yeah, on the <laughs> don't side. bring up your Lego flowers again, okay? <laughs> <laughs> Why? They're so beautiful. I know, but this I don't is have an audio-only podcast. <laughs> yeah, that's why I said my Lego plant. You know what? When we get cameras, the first thing... We're not even going to have us on camera. We're just going to have the flowers. Guys, the Lego orchid is beautiful. Yeah. I might I might send Stuart a photo just so he can put this up on the YouTube. On the YouTube. Man, I'm showing my age. No. On the YouTube. No. <laughs> Guys, I just picked a... I could have said a book. Guys, let me finish my thing about historical... Uh, what chronological snobbery. That's what it is. You're right. Joel, continue. Um, I just think it's cool that this ancient world we're reading about has a, a much farther back history than what we have right now. They know more about what has happened in recent history than we know now because we are only reading accounts from it from Samuel and maybe Chronicles. That's true. Um, but we know about more now than they know about now. That's true. <laughs> now the and here's the thing: you can't get too works. cocky because the future knows more than we do now. <laughs> about this is the getting future, dumb. What I'm saying is they lived in a fundamentally different world where you had prophet schools out in the woods, where you yeah. could go kill 200 people for their foreskins. These things are weird, and we need to your, acknowledge your, Yes, Your father-in-law was throwing spears at you. Yeah, you maybe had an idol of either a god or your king that you hid your in your bed. <laughs> in some kind of weird, like, slapstick it, humor. Here's the thing, here's the thing. We treat that like that's all ancient, and it is, and it's, yeah. like, totally different. Pick up some like weird history stuff from the Dark Ages. Things get real weird too. <laughs> yeah, no. I, it it is it is that. funny how rationalistic we are in the society, and mm-hmm. also it's like we do some crazy stuff in our society. Well, mm-hmm. Yeah, and I can't well, say and that. David, yeah. David would be thinking this right now is absolutely crazy. Yeah, these guys are talking into these little tiny metal things, and then thousands of people will hear it potentially. Maybe this is becoming really meta. Oh yeah, I'm gonna have a crisis really quick. <laughs> it's cultural, historical perspective crisis. We good to wrap up? I think so. Thank you so much for listening to the Second Rate Saints podcast. Um, we've enjoyed going through this uh, Samuel series. Um, we're really getting like a kind of a feel for what a um, a journey through a longer book. We've done a couple of short book reviews. Some of my favorites are like Nahum and Jonah. Um, Galatians was fun. Galatians was really good. Mm-hmm. Um, we've done those short ones. We've done the one-offs. Um, it's been really interesting to see how it's played out um, through First Samuel. And I've really enjoyed the audience interaction we've gotten through these episodes. Um, people just interjecting with their own um, thoughts and ideas as we go through the passage. There's a good chance you thought of a lot of things today that we are not going to talk about because there's no way we could have even thought of them. So if you've got uh, any thoughts, questions, or concerns, please Hit us up at secondratesaints at gmail.com. Follow us on Instagram, Twitter, um, or even use the chat feature on our website at secondratesaints.com. We look forward to hearing from all of you guys again, and we'll see you next week. Just end it. Whoa.